anytime you could breathe through your nose, my suggestion is please do. But don't get caught up. Don't get dogmatic about it and argumentative about it. Everybody breathes through their mouth. Relax about it and do it as well as you can. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and check movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to episode 144 of the Biohacker Babes. My name is Renee and I'm tuning in with my beautiful sister Lauren today. <gasps> oh, thank you, Renee. You're beautiful too. So lovely to see you. Yes. And we had a great guest on today. I'm like bouncing off the walls with energy right now because Me too. I can feel his energy through Zoom. He was great. We are bringing on Sean Coakley today. And before I get into his bio and all the amazing things he's doing, I just want to say this episode really blew my mind. I learned so much more about breath work than I like knew that I didn't know. <laughs> he just kept blowing my mind with all of these things. And I appreciate he gives some great tangible advice on like getting started today. If you're really new to breath work and how to be more aware of your breath and then into like really fancy looking at data and how to dive into optimizing your breath, right? Like there's a whole spectrum of that. So I really appreciate that he covers all of that. And for anyone that's listening to this podcast, I would recommend going over to YouTube and maybe watching some of the episode because he does show a couple things. I won't give it away right now, but you might want to be able to see that on YouTube. So definitely check us out on there. Yeah. The magic of this episode is definitely his expertise on breath. I mean, he has an amazing device that is super new to the market and for data nerds like us and for, we'll call you data nerds as well out there. <laughs> Enjoy more data and insights about your own body. It's going to be really, really interesting, but I think the power in this episode is just all of his knowledge about breath. And we get a little bit into myths about nasal breathing, which I was really fascinated to hear. Anyways, he's just super kind, humble, interesting, very knowledgeable, and um, you're going to love it. Yeah. He's an OG biohacker, just like our dad. Oh yeah. I love to hear that. I love that 40 yeah. years. He is no stranger to this. And he used, he was a Bikram teacher for a very, very long time. And, oh, just so much experience. What a yeah. cool guy. All right. So let me tell you a little bit more about Sean. So Sean Coakley is a highly sought after performance breathing coach with over 25 years teaching and coaching experience in yoga, breath work, nutritional sciences, quantum biology, and mind state psychology. An avid athlete, in his younger days, Sean was a Division I scholarship soccer player and a competitive cyclist until he experienced several life-changing physical traumas, including cervical and lumbar fractures. Through this and many other life-changing circumstances, Sean became highly focused on the breath's ability to remediate pain, optimize personal performance, and access the flow state on demand. With formal studies and degrees in public health, epidemiology, and nutritional sciences, Sean has a strong science-based background that brings unique insight to the art and science of breath performance training that benefits everyone he encounters. 
Whether chasing gold medals, preparing for the Navy SEAL training, struggling or recovering from pain or illness, or sometimes more importantly, simply coping with the stress of everyday life, Sean's clients benefit greatly from his insights and guidance. He is a lifelong educator and entrepreneur, owner and creator of BreathFlow, a globally focused performance breath training company, as well as a founding equity member of Caliber Biometrics based in Boston. In addition to the above, Sean worked directly with Stig Severinsen and became the first global master instructor for his breathology platform, and also worked with AeroFit as their first global master coach, in addition to helping them develop the training protocols for their platform. He has an incredible background. I am excited to share this episode with you. I think you will be mind blown about his knowledge around breath work. Yeah. And I'm really excited to know how deeply everyone breathes while listening to this. So if you need some breath yes. work, here you go. You can, you can just turn your attention towards that as you're learning more about it. Yes. You can probably hear me breathing a little bit on the episode. <laughs> Same. Yep. <laughs> All right. Breathe with us. Let's bring Sean on. Welcome, Sean, to the Biohacker Babes. Thanks for joining us today. How's it going? Uh, it's fantastic. I'm thrilled to be here with you guys. Yeah, I'm like, I'm already so energized just from like our pre-record chat. We have a fellow biohacker here, and I know this is going to be a fabulous conversation. Um, and I'm so grateful. So we just discovered our mutual friend, Kyle Kinley. You were catching me up on how you know Kyle. Uh, Kyle and I are both Ben Greenfield coaches, and he is a breathwork expert to me. Mm -hmm. He's always like teaching us about breathwork in the Ben group. And so he connected us, which is so exciting. And we can't wait to dive into all the amazing work you're doing and learn about Caliber. We'll we'll talk more about that. But cool. before we get into some of the science, maybe you can share with us. I think I heard you say on a podcast that you are a breathwork nerd or breath nerd? Tell us more about that. How did you <laughs> yeah, sure. I've I, I, I become known as a breath performance coach. So that's kind of the moniker I use on a day-to-day -day basis when I explain what I do. And, and long story short, what that means is I work with clients, now, whether they're athletes or not. They don't have to be athletes, but I usually, the majority of the people I work with are athletes just because of the nature of things these days. Um, but basically, I teach people about how to breathe for optimal performance. And that could be in terms of recovering from PTSD and trauma, or it could be trying to win a gold medal and everything in between. And I've been studying the breath sciences, and I'm an old school yogi, and I've been studying, I have a lot of degrees we could talk about and all that stuff too. So I'm a hyper geek when it comes to respiratory capabilities. And I think it's a very misunderstood or not even explored avenue for most people in the world. It's just starting to get its feet. So I'm very excited. I'm finally starting to feel like I fit in because everybody's talking about breath these days. So it's exciting. Yeah, definitely very a hot true. topic. Mm -hmm. Huge, huge, hugely hot topic. I feel like everyone now is like, oh yeah, you do breath work? I do breath work. Yeah, we all do breath yeah. work. I'm an OG. Like I've been around for a long Love time. It. <laughs> so, Love it. Yes. Yeah. So what are like the, the biggest myths that you see in breath work with this increase or the trend in breath work? What are people getting wrong about it? That's a great, that's actually an interesting, dangerous question, right? So I'm going to answer that in the yeah. best way possible, right? <laughs> Challenging. Way to go. Way to go, Lauren. Um, so so a couple things. Um, I love the fact that nose breathing is becoming mainstream. You know, Patrick McCown, James Nestor, I love what those guys are propagating. Um, but when I shake my little fairy dust personally on breathwork in general, I'm not a dogmatic breath coach teacher. So I think that is, as an example, that's one part of the equation for getting to know what's happening in breath. When I look at instructors such as, let's say, Wim Hof, for example, who's doing amazing things for growing the popularity of breathing in the world, I'm not necessarily teaching a 79-year-old 
cancer patient how to get into an ice bath and hyperventilate. So I believe there's the right tool at the right time for every type of person who wants to utilize their breath to develop their levels of performance. And that could be a variation depending on who they are and what their age, what their capabilities are. So um, my philosophy really is to, if I'm a credible coach and I'm a learned coach, is to know every style of breathing out there if that's possible and to apply the right tool at the right time. So I like to tell everybody, don't stick to a guru and think that everything's a fix-all explore and get to know everything and then adapt to yourself or find a coach like me or, or like Kyle, like you mentioned, and learn how to take the right pieces and put the puzzle together. I think that's the biggest thing I like to share with everybody. There's more than just one style of breathing. you know. Yeah. I think that's so important to talk about because I, I've heard some people say, oh, I tried breath work and it didn't work for me or I didn't like it. And I'm like, well, you probably tried one of, I don't know, a thousand or hundreds, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I love that you said that there is such a broad range too with age and athletes. I'm curious what like the older population could learn from breath work. Cause oh. a lot of, I'm obviously the athlete, I want to get into athletic performance too, but like for maybe someone that's just sitting on the couch, how can they take advantage of a breath work practice? Yeah. G- great question. Uh, so first of all, I think in general, and I'm speaking general terms, so don't hold this against me. Right. So generally most people don't pay attention to their breathing. So breath awareness is the first thing. Like when you come out of the gate, You want to make people aware of how mechanically they breathe. So in my world of coaching, what I've kind of developed as a tool set is I take people from like kind of gross mechanical to subtle over time. So when I first introduce breathing to an older population, I have to explain to them simply how the muscles work, where they are. My 80-year-old patients don't know what the diaphragm is. They They don't know what direction it moves in. They don't know why. And they don't know that you could breathe. 360 degrees around the entire body. They only think you breathe into your belly, which by the way, I don't like the term belly breathing because nobody breathes into their belly, right? So (laughs) you kind of have to re-educate them on the vernacular, I think, and introduce them to the concept that there is directional capacity in your breathing and the tension that you hold restricts you. So I'm a big person who loves the term quantum efficiency. So I like to make everything as efficient as possible and to make breathing efficient you first have to know the architecture, uh, meaning the mechanical architecture, to start to get the billow or the, the balloon blowing up and compressing. So I like to start from the mechanical perspective to make them aware and then let them explore that for a while. And it's important not to put too much pressure, not overhype. You need to change today kind of thing because sometimes they feel too much pressure. And it's really about developing a long-term habit. So when I teach older people, I always I follow up with them continuously for 30 to 60 days to help them develop a new habit of breathing, not just leave them with one day of education because they fall back quickly to old habits faster than most, right? So we have to kind of help them along gain that new habit, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the timeline because I'm sure there's a spectrum from like severely disordered or dysfunctional breathing to the other side. Maybe it's athletes or just people that want to optimize their breathing, Let's go to the the first end of the spectrum, like dysfunctional breathing. How long does it take? And do you find that it's really, I mean, it must be frustrating at first if someone, you know, they're blowing their, you're blowing their minds with how to breathe properly. And suddenly they're like, oh my gosh, I'm breathing wrong all the time. Now I'm like sympathetic, fight or flight, <laughs> stressing out. How do you right. get them to not stress about it? That, that, that That's probably the tricks of the trade, right? Is to get them to not be, feel guilty that they've been breathing wrong their entire life. But that question kind of comes up and I just have to take it jokingly when they say it's like, oh my God, so I've been breathing wrong forever. And I'm like, yeah, you have, but that's okay. You're still that's here. Okay. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Right? You're still here. If, if, if we all share one thing in common foundationally, we breathe, 
uh, right? That's a, that's a human trait that we collectively share. So I think it's a wonderful foundational thing. And I kind of break the ice, if you will, with the fact that I, I didn't breathe the way I breathe today when I was born necessarily, or maybe I did when I was born, but in between then and now, my breath has been a practice. And this is something that you have to create a habit around. So if you look at like the book, Atomic Habits, which you guys might be familiar with and stuff like that, I kind of like to follow that methodology with when it comes to habit building. So I think it, depending on willpower, I like to use a gauge of 30 to 60 days, depending on the will. Um, so usually 60 days is on the long end. Uh, and if they don't have that do habit by 60 days, then they probably just generically aren't interested in it. And there's mm. only so much mm. you could do to force people to do things that are good for them. So yeah. teaching yoga for years, you'll learn that it's their journey, not my journey. So I can't impart my journey on them or expedite the process. They have to find the reasoning to build it up in themselves. And sometimes that used to be frustrating for me, but now I'm older. So I kind of roll with the punches a little bit more. Yeah, well, yeah. you meet people where they're at. It's yep. just a yeah. quick note, like Renee and I grew up as ballet dancers. So we were so awesome. taught to suck in our stomachs, not breathe. You know, it was like very shallow chest breathing. But I also grew up singing, which is a little bit different. You do have to, you know, breathe into your belly and your lungs. But I, because I was predominantly a dancer, chose to not breathe. Nice. And I feel like for me to completely retrain my breath in 60 days feels kind of scary. And I don't know. <laughs> I am compliant, well, I swear. <laughs> I have a long history with ballet dancers because I, I I lived and taught up in New Haven in New York. So I used to teach yoga to ballet dancers from ABC all the time. And my son's mm. my son's 11. He's been taking ballet for five years now, four years. And he has a wonderful teacher who used to be at the Royal Ballet over in London. Um, so I love the artistic world of ballet. So we'll talk about that some other day. Um, but, but it is, it, it is, they are interesting athletes, I'll say, and they are, they are taught to hold themselves very taut and very inefficiently when it comes to breathing. And so teaching ballet dancers to allow themselves to breathe is a very challenging and interesting thing. I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. So much control so. and rigidity. Mm-hmm. I yeah. remember just getting off stage and being like, oh, <laughs> I didn't breathe for three and a half minutes just now. Yeah. Yeah. And then same, like learning how to sing. That was the hardest thing for me was the breath side of it. I'm like, sure. you know, all the exercises laying on your back, breathing into your diaphragm. I was like, this feels so unnatural, um, mm-hmm. but it's so it important. Wrong. Right, right, wrong. Right. So um, what can someone expect to see as they do learn to breathe better? Oh, gosh. The, the, in health? Or the the, the list of health benefits and mental state benefits and maybe even achieving flow state will kind of push that down the road a little bit. But I, I think generically, I like, to, I like to base everything off the world of efficiencies. And efficiencies are things like blood pressure, flow of, of biochemicals in the body. Uh, starting to gain control of the endocrine system, the output of biochemicals in your system, the autonomic nervous system, and controlling the delta between autonomic you know, systems and, and the fight-or-flight system. So at the core of it, I think it's gaining control of self. And that awareness that you gain starts to allow the endocrine system, I believe, you know, talk about Andrew Huberman type of stuff, right? It starts to allow you to kind of get a hold of the endocrine uh, internal components of your body and distribute the proper chemicals at the right time. So uh, a good a good short story would be when I work with um, Tour de France cyclists, for example, I talk to them in this terminology. I want you, them to be able to turn on the turbo when they need it, not the entire race or they burn out. So being able to use breath to stay in the parasympathetic for as long as you can or when it's appropriate and only utilizing the sympathetic when it's necessary, because it is a necessary genetic tool that we have at our disposal 
once you start to gain control of that, everything starts to shift. Sleep cycle, recovery, how you eat, how slow you ingest things, all that stuff cascades together, I think, over time. So there's this really wonderful waterfall effect. One drop starts it all and it kind of starts to bleed into all the areas that you have. And that conscious awareness starts to allow you to live at the pace we were determined to live at, not at the pace society pushes us to, I mm. think, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yes. I'm curious, yeah. how are you putting sympathetic and parasympathetic into separate categories? Because an inhale is inherently sympathetic, exhale is parasympathetic. So you're just talking about the ratio between inhale and exhale? It's a complicated soup. Uh, right at the end of the day. Right. So, so, and it's a great question. Um, so yes, yeah, so it, it inherently and generically exhales are parasympathetic and inhales can be sympathetic. I don't believe all inhales are sympathetic mm. depending on how you utilize them. So I've been practicing breath work for a long time. I could take an inhale that lasts 45 to 60 seconds and you wouldn't hear it and you wouldn't see it. Wow. Is that inherently sympathetic? No. It, it, is that an advanced practice? Yes. So day-to-day generic population, I would agree with you that I think inhales are usually sympathetic for the people walking down the street who don't have a practice yet. As you develop your practice, though, I do believe that you have the ability to subdue the inhale connection to the sympathetic. And it's based on how you feel and the struggle to bring that inhale in. So I talk a lot about depth and volume. And when I talk about depth and volume, I don't talk about hard inspiration or the hyperventilating type of style of breathing, it's slow, calm, and deep. So you don't have to inspire the adrenaline boost by inhaling all the time or connect the sympathetic. And that's also a mindset or a psychosomatic component, I think, to breath as well. So when you start to bring that in, I'm going to challenge anybody who sees this, start to think the other way. Inhales don't have to be purely sympathetic. They can be controlled and they can allow you to gain full access to parasympathetic all the time. And that's how I, as a practitioner and some of the more advanced people I teach, maintain parasympathetic connection through the entire rhythm of breathing, not just on the exhale. But the exhale is the starting point to connect to parasympathetic, I would say. Yeah. Hmm. Such a great reframe. Thank you for that. Is that cool? So interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I I love it. Every aspect of health, I always love looking at the ancestral side of things. So I'm, I'm curious, do you know why so many people are breathing wrong? Like have humans been breathing wrong for hundreds of thousands of years, or is it our fast paced society in the last hundred years that's forced us to breathe incorrectly? Uh, If we, if we were to X, Y graph it, right. I think it's gotten worse over time, uh, for sure. Um, it's, I think, I think in those terms, Renee as well, a lot, and it's hard for me to juxtapose the ancient past to today because the, yeah. the, they were such different times. And I really don't know what that was going on back then, uh, in a lot of ways, but f- yeah, fight or flight's been, yeah, no, but I mean, fight or flight's been around genetically since, since we were created as a human race. Um, okay. so I, I think our lives are so much more mentally complicated now. I won't say they're more complicated. I think they're certainly mentally more complicated for a lot of us out there. And that's that overstimulus. I think the main difference is the amount of stimuli that people take in to back then. I, I don't think sitting around the fire or sitting in a cave was highly stimulating per se. But when you're out trying to you know, get your next meal, you were stimulating yourself. I just think the cycle is different today, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, even me, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a breath sense. practitioner, but I'm a dad and a husband. I got a mortgage. I have all these things. I have, I have thoughts that I have to control and not allow it to overwhelm me. I don't know if they were thinking about those things way back in the day, uh, in the same way we are today. 
Right. I yeah. hope I hope that answers it. I mean, it's a crap. It's a it's a yeah. No, soft, no, that was a great answer. A soft answer. I don't know. Yeah. No, that was <laughs> yeah, great. That was great. I think it's just acute versus chronic stress. There's yeah. so many more expectations and responsibilities. Lauren, I think that's a great way to say it. Yeah, you're. That was elegant Cute. of you. Mine was long and <laughs> long winded <laughs> and, and valuable. Very valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really want to talk about the caliber, but I'm just curious because we started talking about myths around breathing and because nasal breathing is super popular now. Everyone's talking about it. We're making fun of mouth breathers. People are taping their mouths at night. Right. Please teach us. Yeah, sure. I, I, I think nasal breathing is important and I'm sure you agree. I mean, we get nitric oxide, the nose filters. There's like so many wonderful benefits from nasal breathing, but with the caliber, we're focused on mouth breathing. So can you give us like a high level benefits on both yeah. sides? So, so let me, let me, I'm going to show you really quickly. So first of all, there is a hole in the top of a caliber device. So when I put this against my face, I collect nose breath and mouth breath. So you can Ooh. breathe through ever, whichever orifice that you like and preferably right. nose breathing, but caliber doesn't care. It collects the molecules the way it collects the molecules. So, so I'll just say that and then I'll get back to nose breathing for a moment. So. Um, first and foremost, I agree with all the biology. I, I agree with the nitric oxide, the warmth, the humidification, the slow delivery. This is a smaller pipe than this, so mechanically you're slowed on your breath naturally breathing through your nose. With a guy who broke his nose a few times, I have a deviated septum. So for all those people out there who say, oh, I can't nose breathe because I have a deviated septum, I won't, I won't subject you to looking at my nose, ladies, right now. <laughs> but mine is really highly curved, and I can still breathe very calmly and coolly through it, even with the deviation. Um, because I think the sinus cavity adapts over time and reshapes itself to volume. Um, so when I had a conversation maybe a couple of months back with Dan Brule, who you guys might know who Dan is, right? Mm-hmm. I love Dan's perspective on this. He's like, give me a break. Every, people breathe through their mouth. You're not going to die if you breathe through your mouth every once in a while. And the fact that we're talking right now, I'm breathing through my mouth because I'm speaking. So do I lose sleep over the dogmatic concept of breathing through my nose every breath of the rest of my life? Absolutely not. Do I breathe through my nose majoritively? Absolutely, yes. So I do it consciously to the best of my ability. And a long time ago, I lost sleep over it and I gave up on that real quick. And now I, I probably naturally as a habit breathe through my nose 95% of my day anyway, even at nighttime when I sleep because I did tape my mouth to build a habit back then. Um, so any time you could breathe through your nose, my suggestion is please do. But, but don't get caught up. Don't get dogmatic about it and argumentative about it. Everybody breathes through their mouth. James Nestor talks on interviews. He breathes through his mouth. So it's not something you can do 24 hours a day. So I think my overall message is relax about it and do it as well as you can uh, kind of thing. You know, that's great advice. That's great. And I think with our data as a biological dentist, I know you're familiar with that as well. It, It may just be an indication that there's something else going on. So if you are mouth breathing a lot, right. But I think yes. that's such great advice to not go crazy over it. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people yeah. do. And look, I, look, I'm an ex hardcore athlete from when I was a kid. I was a division one scholarship kid and I raced cycling professionally for a while. I pushed myself to throw up on my bike. Like I like to overachieve. So when I first heard about nose breathing, I'll, I'll, I'll be darned if I didn't want to do it every breath I took, because that's what I do. I take it on and try it uh, to the best of my ability, but you can drive yourself crazy with all these things. If you don't do it in moderation and you have to be mm-hmm. easy with yourself, right? And it's it's a it's a moment to moment choice that you're doing with everything, even your guys. When you do biohacking, right? Select your tool. Don't drive yourself crazy with it, and allow yourself to enjoy the tools and the process. Because uh, I think the enjoyment is a big part. If you're not enjoying making these changes, then the change is not that great to begin with. 
in a lot of yeah. ways. So it's a big part of breathing because that 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 sentiment, that tension creates inefficiencies. So if you have tension around changing your habit, you're kind of going in the wrong direction while you're on the journey. That's how I think about it. That's yeah, so resistance. well said. And I think that's for any healthy habit. I mean, if you're really like forcing it and it's a painful process, it's maybe not going to work in that 60 day window. Like you said, yeah, it's a tough feedback mechanism at the end yeah. of the day. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious about when we are exercising the difference mm-hmm. between the nasal breathing and mouth breathing. Cause I know there are some, again, there are some hardcore people that say, if you have to breathe through your mouth, you're working out too hard <laughs> or you're right. weak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take your mouth shut. Go to CrossFit. Just shut up yeah, and right. do it. I know. I know, right? Um, so it's it's interesting. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna share this in a little bit of a vignette story for you. So VJ Jones, who's the number one OCR racer for Spartan Racing, he's kind of a phenom. Um, there's a YouTube interview that he and I did with Yancey Kelp a while back. And we talk because VJ is a phenom. He's an he's an unbelievable athlete. He's gifted, truly gifted. And we talk about that. And what I like to say to people transitioning from mouth breathing or whatever their breathing style was prior to becoming aware of nose breathing is there is a, what I call the trough of disillusionment that you go through. Things get harder before they get better when you switch to nose breathing as an athlete. And your times are going to go down for a week or two. You, you cannot perform if all of a sudden you're restricting. So I like to think about it as you're going from like a petrol engine to a diesel engine in a lot of ways in terms of how your body adapts to the fuel source that it has access to. And I know on the nose breathing side, if I was to straddle on that side of the fence, Patrick McCowan and I talked about this, you know, you, you adapt to your natural max capacity if you breathe through your nose, right? It, it, instead of breathing through, because when you're breathing through your mouth continuously, you're looking for adrenaline to keep your pace a lot of times. And the body ha- has a, I believe in this, a genetically maximum output that it's comfortable at before you start reaching for additional additives or different biochemicals to boost the engine. So I think if people are willing to be patient and give themselves, if they train every day, give themselves two weeks to a month to adapt and go through that trough before they come up on the other side, having faith and confidence that it does work because we know it does, they have to have the faith to go through the trough because a lot of people go downhill once and they stop and they call it quits and they go back to their old style because they feel comfortable with that and they don't have the faith or knowledge to get up onto the other side of it. So I like to talk people through. You got to commit to it for 30 days of your training every day just to go through that path before you get up on the other side kind of thing. And then turn the turbo on when you need it. Once you're a nose breather, you always can switch to mouth when it's 100 yards from the finish line to do a sprint. There's nothing wrong with that. So I, I teach a lot of cyclists. So I teach them to, if they're doing, the last sprint could be anywhere from 1,000 meters to 200 meters. You have to choose when to turn on the engine. So you'll see cyclists breathing through both mouth and nose during their final sprint to get that adrenaline boost and get that extra O2 into their system. I think that's completely appropriate, you know, at at times during athletic events. Yeah. I hope that answers the question. Oh yeah. That was a great explanation. And what I'm thinking of is how similar that is to someone that's learning how to be in nutritional ketosis, right? That process, like people say, Oh, I did keto for a week and it was awful. But again, you have to give your body that time to transition from burning glucose for fuel and then ketones for fuel. And even like endurance athletes, I know now, especially with Ben Greenfield, what he'll do is he'll train them in ketosis and then race day, load up on the carbs. And it's just like, whoo. Right. Like, glycogen source, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just yeah, take yeah. off. That, that, such a smart way to do it, to be honest with you. I, I totally agree with how he does that. 
Yeah. Um, and it's, it's the same thing with breath training. Like I'll, I'll do apnea training with people where I'll have them do apnea walking or apnea workouts where they're restricting their breath or holding their breath while they're doing things to get used to the fearful nature of the panic that arrives when you start to lose the, when you start to feel the need, the urgency to breathe, that's trainable. You, you might've read in my bio, I don't know if we covered my bio, but in my bio, like I worked with Stig Severinsen for a long time, who was the first human to hold his breath for 20 minutes as a free diver, oxygen assisted, but all the same, you know, he breathed pure oxygen to do that, but he could still hold his breath for 11, 12 minutes without oxygen assist. So when wow. you start to teach people wow. to breath hold and you watch the, it's very easy. If I challenged you both and said, slide down to the floor and hold your breath, regardless of how long you hold it, I would know you intimately in terms of your fear cycle, because I would see you trying and struggling to hold your breath as long as possible. And I'd know more about you than you know about yourself. Like that's, that's kind of how I see it. Like it's, it's my psychological interview. If you was watching people hold their breath, because if I was holding the pillow over your face, eventually you're going to kick and punch to kind of get that breath and how you manage that cycle and understand the why is my diaphragm contracting to make me breathe? Because your brain doesn't like that you're holding your breath. So there's this cycle of raising awareness to that ultimate fight or flight stage. And free divers are a great example of controlling those mechanisms and understanding those mechanisms for that call to breathe. Mm -hmm. So if you start to tr and train your mind through neuroplasticity to the idea that understanding the biochemistry of breathing allows you to know you're not in danger if you hold your breath past your fear kind of thing, you can keep going. And you have to understand the biochemical nature of it. And I use that as a tool for everybody I teach. Because mm -hmm. once they realize they could hold their breath for more than 30 seconds, like I can get people to hold their breath in three minutes the first day I meet them. It's walking them through the nature of fear that arises when they do it. And once they know that, life is limitless in a lot of ways. It's really cool watching people learn that they can, oh, that, oh that's not something I should be afraid of. No, that's just a struggle that pops up and it's your job to relax through it. And kind of achieve that flow state. So that's that's the yeah. world I come when I teach everybody, I always am thinking freediving science in the back of my mind because I think freedivers yeah. are some of the most mentally equipped yogis in the world. Because it's a do or die, life or death situation when you're 100 meters underwater. If you panic and you use up your oxygen source, you're done. It's over. So there's a real committed level of control that you have to have in that competitive environment of freediving. And if you could bring that out to the real world, everything else is kind of easy. In a lot of ways, I think at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. There's so much crossover to, you know, all forms of hormesis. We see that in cold exposure. It's like if you can stay yes. in there 30 seconds. I think I've read on the website, I'm assuming these are your words that breath tells the story, tells your story. I've it's said that assessment. a few times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes yeah, so yeah. much sense. But, you know, that perceived stress response is so powerful. And when you're stressed, you hold your breath. So <laughs> it's an assessment yes. and a tool at the same time. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's curious. really fun. It's really fun to watch people hold their breath because you do see, you see the, the facial panic. expressions, you see the <laughs> pant, the wrinkles, and I mean, everything happens and they've never watched themselves in a mirror, hold their breath, which I've done a lot just to see what I look like when I hit those panic levels. And it's kind of, I just smile and giggle when I watch people go through it because I've been through it yeah. and they're exploring themselves. And it's a, it's, it's such a show. It's such an emotional show. People come People cry, people scream, people do all sorts of crazy things when they're pushed to hold their breath for a long time. And it, it, I think it also unearths when you stretch the limits of your breathing capacity, whether it's Wim Hof, hyperventilation style or breath holding, you start to unearth previous traumas. It starts to kick into the emotional mind a little bit and starts to bring bubble things up they haven't thought about in a while. 
previous all, panics, previous all things that so trigger dramatic. you. Right? It's <laughs> also dramatic. So yeah, so that happens quite often. It's fun. Yeah, but yeah. that's how we grow. Discomfort. It is. It is. I'm yeah. curious before when you were talking about the trough, how it gets worse before it gets better. Are you talking mm-hmm. about just perceived exertion? Are you talking about actual biometrics dropping uh, before improving? Yeah, I think both. Uh, I, I think the first, I think the first is more noticeable. Um, I think, you know, it's hard to kind of explain or subjectively understand the biochemical change inside of a body, but it has been shown from controlling and slowing down breath and even breath holding that the body has bioadaptive capabilities to be able to utilize oxygen more efficiently. So when Mm -hmm. you talk about things like VO2, and I won't talk about VO2 max, because I think that's a single data point that's important only to athletes, but we talk about VO2. To me, VO2 is a really interesting thing that something like this now caliber finally brings out of the lab environment and it's something that hasn't been studied so yeah there's i think there's there's absolute um, academic studies that have shown bioadaptive change to styles of breathing and breath holding and apnea breathing and hypoxic training so the body has cellular adaptation and the krebs cycle atp cycle whatever you want to call it has the ability to adapt as you shift your breath ratios and your breath volumes um, like everything else you subject your body to, the body is wonderful, wonderfully adaptable. So as you restrict breath from it, it becomes the new norm and it adapts to it. So um, yeah, I think the first is more noticeable, I would say, if you will. What's up, biohackers? I just wanted to interrupt today's show real quick to tell you about an awesome giveaway we are hosting this week. Our friends over at Defender Shield, who have created amazing EMF radiation protection products over the years, including clothing, cell phone cases, laptop shields, a blanket, tons of other awesome products. You've probably heard Lauren and I talk about it before. And we even had the CEO, Daniel DeBon, on our podcast back in 2020, where he discussed the dangers of EMFs and how we can protect ourselves and keep ourselves healthy. So if you missed that episode, definitely go back and check that out because they're doing some amazing work in the EMF radiation field. But now they have been hard at work creating an innovative new line of supplements called Light Body. I think it's a pretty cool name because your light body is actually like your best aura or your being. And they're on this mission to transform your body with targeted research-backed micronutrients that combat environmental toxins. Those are the things that our cells are getting exposed to every single day. So anything we can do to improve cellular resiliency and improve overall wellness is a win for us. So this week, they have joined up with us to give away five free bottles of their new ultra-high DHA and EPA omega-3 fish oil soft gels. Stay tuned. I'll tell you how to sign up for the giveaway in just a second here. But you've probably heard a lot about omega-3s, right, and fish oil and how beneficial this can be for our health, which is true. It can improve resiliency of the cell membrane, reduce inflammation, uh, potentially reduce autoimmune risk. So a lot of amazing benefits there. But the downside is that there's a lot of really crappy omega-3 supplements on the market. They're typically very oxidized. They have poor absorption. They're loaded with toxins. So we really appreciate that Lightbody has taken the extra steps by using young anchovies from pristine ocean waters. This ensures that there's a minimal toxin exposure. They also use a cold press purification process, so this creates a highly bioavailable and concentrated oil with very low oxidation levels. I mean, lower than any other polyunsaturated fatty acid that we've seen on the market. So we really appreciate that they've gone the extra step to take care of that for us. And if you want to try it out for yourself, all you have to do is head over to Instagram, find our page, biohacker underscore babes. 
find the post, like, comment, tag a friend, and you will be entered automatically into the giveaway. And if you want to just learn more about their products, you can go ahead and head over to lightbodylabs.com to learn more. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah. So can we talk about the caliber? Can you explain to our audience what it's I, doing? I, I, I and the respiratory fitness, is it for everybody? You talked about getting yeah, it out so, of a lab, like VO2 so, is traditionally so done in labs and gyms. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, so thank you for asking that. But I'm I'm going to say one quick backtrack before I get to that because there's a, it's an interesting tie-in. So I mentioned free diving. I mentioned all my yoga stuff. Um, while I was over in Copenhagen training with Stig years ago, I met the the CEO and owner of Aerofit.com. If you guys have ever seen Aerofit, so I was their I'm their global master instructor. I helped them develop their app protocols. So to back to your ballet mention, Lauren. Um, respiratory muscular training is a really important thing for people to know about. And it's, a, it's something that you could do with a widget. Aerofit's my favorite widget, uh, you know, but there's other widgets you could breathe resistance through. And so training the muscles, there's radical benefits you get from doing that, um, from training the muscles of your respiratory system, like, just like your locomotor muscles, uh, mm-hmm. things like, me- things like metabol reflex, which I won't get into hyper detail about, but metabol reflex is if your respiratory muscles tire your sympathetic nervous system in your brain, if you're doing athletic performance work or training, will vasoconstrict your locomotor periphery. So your arterial and your venule uh, constriction will happen. It will draw blood back to core because your brain wants to take care of heart, lungs, and, and brain more than locomotors. Mm-hmm. So when you train the muscles of respiration, you ha- you are able to abolish or slow down this me- metabolic reflex call to vasoconstriction of the body. So that's that's one important thing I want to share with everybody. And even though that has nothing to do with caliber and everything to do with aerof- things like aerofit, I think it's something that a lot of people don't know about. And nobody thinks about isolatory training for the respiratory muscles. They think that by doing high-intensity training, they are training those muscles. And that's not really the case. So as, if, as long as you'll let me say that and then jump into caliber, I think that's an oh, important yeah. thing yeah, to know about. Yeah, that's what you need to say. Right? Awesome. Yeah. Um, so, so that being anchored in place, what caliber? So let me give you my high level pitch. So um, my buddy Udi Amirev, who's the inventor of this, Udi uh, Udi's a PhD in physics from MIT, and he's and he's in his sixties now, and he's a serial inventor and the coolest guy I know. He has been in the air industry for a long time, so he is a sensor expert, and he has a previous company that had that dealt with air quality um, in the corporate world for a while. So. This, this, this kind of popped into his mind years ago, and he challenged himself to take a metabolic cart, like a cart that you would see in a hospital or a performance lab with the typical hoses and wires and straps and all that stuff, and apply Moore's Law to it kind of thing and see if you can miniaturize it and scale it and make it more economical. And what he did was invent this really amazing little chamber here. This little chamber that you see right here, this is a metabolic cart. Wow. Basically, so in inside of this little device, this E module, is an O2 sensor, uh, the best medical grade O2 and CO2 sensors we can get from Switzerland and Germany. So nothing from China, no fast imports kind of thing. And along with that are some a barometric pressure reading, a flow sensor, and a pressure uh, monitor. So you need all of these multiple components to calculate things like breath calorimetry or understand ketosis progression. And so forth. So things like there's systems out there like Panoe, which is a pretty well-known system that does VO2 max. It's about eight to ten thousand dollars. 
you know, this is a sub $500 unit and a metabolic cart in a hospital, for example, is about $50,000. So we're trying to change the world and give access to a biometric area that has not been paid attention to yet because we don't have diodes. I'm not putting diodes into my arm or my leg or my body. I'm capturing molecules and I'm calculating using proven science. Breath calorimetry has been around for a hundred years. The science is hardcore proven. It's just been a matter of access until today. Mm. So as a, as a founding member and, and for all transparency, a, a part owner in Caliber, which I am, um, we believe that we're bringing access, scale, and economy to an era that's never been available before. And I do believe that this is something that everybody can use. And although, like other wearable companies, will focus on athletes because they're typical early adopters, that's not the only group that could benefit from utilizing this. Um, that you know, people interested in calorie. This is the most accurate calorie counting mechanism there is. You can't calorie count accurately with a diode. You can calorie count accurately with CO2 and O2 ratios. So there's a world, and I don't want to get into wars with like, I'm wearing my aura ring. I have a whoop. I have all these other things. I have my fancy free diving watch that does all sorts of stuff. I'll never stop using those, but none of those collect my breath. And none of those, none of those tell me the really interesting, accurate information you can get from this. Mm-hmm. All the way from cool. just counting your breaths to respiratory exchange rate and understanding anaerobic progression, because that's a progressive. And even keto, Keto is a progressive nature. Even when you're like, I, I was measuring myself with my caliber before I got on the phone. I've been fasting for three days now. I'm burning 100% fat right now, right? So that's that's where I'm at. I'm in full ketosis. Nice. But if I move around, my body's going to find some stored glucose and use it. So I'm never always hanging at 100% ketosis. The body adapts and pulls what it needs to. So it's really fun utilizing this because I can watch that happen in real time. And that's really never been available before. So as a respiratory geek, this is my holy grail. I finally have access to data that I've only had in performance labs. So I could only do one person at a time. I had to book an appointment. They had to cancel their whole day. If I want to do a VO2 max test, it's a four-hour miserable engagement. Nobody likes VO2 max tests. They're Mm -hmm. hard, right? (laughs) So, So um to, to the athletic point, Lauren, I'll say this, and this is a marketing term that I kind of coined over the past couple of months talking about caliber. I think VO2 on the fly, that's what I'm calling it, is a lot more interesting than VO2 max. If I could track my VO2 all the time, that's a lot more interesting than a VO2 max score. Because sure. I could take this off, I could walk with this, run with this, ride with this, and I see what my actual efficiencies are while I'm working, mm-hmm. not in an isolatory way in a lab, which is a good indicator. But I, I know from training athletes, the people with the best VO2 max scores don't win all the races. Uh, there's a lot mm-hmm. of other things at play. So mm-hmm. from a, I, have a, I have a degree in epidemiology. That's one of my degrees. So I like statistics and geeky math. So the more data, the better. Like Whoop is doing a great job and Aura is doing a great job bringing a lot of data. We want to be part of that play. We want to bring our unique biometrics to the place we can start correlating together. If we could do that, that would be fun and, and really cool. Yeah, I love that real-time feedback. It's kind of like looking at fasting blood glucose in, in a doctor's office versus seeing your glucose trends throughout the day. I mean, sure, yeah, exactly. I was thinking the fasting same exact is thing. important, yeah. but what's happening throughout your day with stress, exercise? Yeah, I mean, like when levels, like when levels came on the scene and you know, in Libre and all the you know, CGMs, I love that too. I think that's really interesting data that wasn't accessible before. And athletes adopted that almost instantly as soon as it was available. Because yeah. that, I mean, that's that's data that you want. You, I want to know how the glucose is being used all the time, um, especially in cycling, because it's such a 
marathon intense sport. But yeah, I think I think yeah, I think caliber. I think I think caliber has a real niche area that we know we'll have competitors at some point in time. You know, that's that's the nature of things. Udi's a really brilliant guy who understands the world of patents more better than I do and better than most people do. So we have a bunch of patents um, around the technology. Even 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 kind of, this kind of looks like a CPAP mask to a lot of people um, in a lot of ways. But even even the unique hexagonal shape of the holes that are in the mask and the displacement and disbursement of them, there's all real-time physics and math happening when you look at this. And Udi did a lot of study, and he still looks at it, and he's still studying. He's already working on version two and three. It's mine, right? There, there's a lot of things you could do to make this better and more efficient over time. So we're just about to ship this week. I think next week we'll be shipping to our crowdfunding crew who bought in before this was a real thing. And awesome. it's the coolest group. Of, it's the coolest group of people I've ever talked to because there's there's geeky people like me out there, PhDs and academics and doctors who have been wanting this data and never had access to it before. So they're just thrilled to get to see it outside the lab, which is really which is really kind of fun, uh, yeah. and exciting. Well, congratulations! Yeah. That's really really exciting. Thank you. I can't wait for you all. I can't wait for you both to try it. So, uh, so I, I wish I could come say, here's, here's, yeah. here's our discount codes and here's all this and stuff like that. But you guys will give me your address because I'm going to have some extras and I will ship you one both as soon as I can, maybe next week, we'll get back on a call sometime and I'll ship you one. And you guys will kick the tires on this with me and have a little fun and tell me what you think about yeah. it. So we could kind of figure it out together. That'd Great. Be cool. Thank you. Yeah. Oh my yeah, goodness. I'm so excited. So a little bit more of the nuance of the device. So what I guess, how long are you wearing it during the day? What exactly is it measuring? How much time does it take to measure? Great question. Now, technically, I, so I will show you this. So let me let me take my phone out of my holder here. This is where my technical capabilities dwindles a little bit. I could airplay and mirror my screen and show you a few things, but um, I'm not sure if I could pull it off. The, is this the app right now. that connects? Yeah, This so there's an app. So let me just see if I could pull up a previous session and at least show you on the screen. For and anyone second. that's listening to the podcast, if you want to see what we're looking at, go to YouTube. This will be on YouTube. Yes. And, and we will have on our website more detailed, you know, uh, like a minute or two showing of this. I'm doing some videos behind the scenes now of the app. So if you can kind of look Great. at we'll share that as what's, well. what's there, there, we have a range yeah. of about there's about 31 biometrics that we capture. And inside the app, we break it down into a couple different main areas. So we break it into respiratory, metabolic, and environment. And those, those three areas, environment's probably the least interesting to most people. So we have to calculate, um, we have to know what altitude you're at in order to calibrate the device. We have to know the percentage of humidity in the air. So we know the molecular density of water versus O2 in the air to be able to make these calculations. So we had to put those types of sensors in the device to know your environment. So one of the really interesting and kind of, for me, life-changing things about this caliber device is other systems, I'll, I'll come back to showing you this guys in a second, run through these. But one of the really interesting things we don't need is we don't need a calibration tank. So I don't need a predetermined known gas supply to calibrate this like a metabolic heart in a hospital or a system like Panoe, and no, no, no negative statements towards Panoe by any means. They have a, they have a great product, but they, they have built it for a lab environment. So those types of environments require calibration tanks. Imagine me trying to sell you this and then say, hey, by the way, I got to ship you a 20-pound calibration tank. They have to cook it up to all the time. <laughs> what, we, what we found is, and this makes it's common sense once you say it out loud, 
the ambient air around me is actually what you should want to calibrate against because every environment is going to have a slightly different air content or molecular structure in terms of ratios of nitrogen and oxygen and other other particles. So this has, when you turn this on, our device, this little e-module takes about a minute to warm up and calibrate and observe the air it's in. So when you turn it on, you sit it still on your desk so it's not moving, you're not breathing across it. It senses the air around it and it calibrates to determine your environment. And then when you put it on and you start using it, it's, it understands the environment you're in. So it can do the math correctly, the algorithms behind the scenes. You can calculate properly against those known molecular quantities, if that makes sense. Um, and that's a real yeah. big deal. So, so calibrating on the fly is something that's never been available before. But when you say it out loud, it's like, oh, that actually makes sense. Because if I'm sitting in Florida, it's 95% humidity and a pre-calibrated tank didn't take that into consideration. I'm calibrating against an environment that's not known locally. So now versus the Vegas desert where I'm higher up and it's very dry. Yeah. Yeah. Different environment. Now, now to the non-geeky person, would they notice that in the biometric data that's coming out? Probably not. Because we might be talking fractions of decimals and things like that, but but, but when you get geeky about it, you want to be correct to the third decimal point if you can, right? That's the goal, right? You know, and maybe we never get there, but we'll, we're trying for the second decimal point, right? All the time. Yeah. Um, I'm imagining so. just like being a human, we should all do this, walk into a room and like survey the environment <laughs> like, <laughs> before you open your mouth. You know, there's people that come in, they just are like loud and it's like, read the room. <laughs> like you can all room. interact a little bit better if you can read the room first. So it sounds like the device yeah. is reading the room. I'd love yeah. to know all the other particulates that are in the room. Like that would be interesting to me too, but I'd probably become a hypochondriac for a month if I, if I could know that. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Maybe better not to know. <laughs> maybe better off not knowing that. Right? <laughs> That's what holding your yeah. breath is for. When you know that you're in that environment, hold your breath until you get out of it uh, yeah, right. kind of thing. Um, yeah. But, but to your, back to your question about how long to wear or when do people wear it. So just for full transparency, this is early days for us. The people who have been using Caliber are me and my five colleagues and a very small group of people that have been helping us develop this product behind the scenes. I wear it anywhere from a half hour to six hours a day. So if I were to strap, if I were to put this on, and I'm, I'm not going to actually show you the data that I'm in, but just from a practical perspective, let me put it on my face for a moment to show you how simple this is. So if I put this over my face, you'll see that it moves around a little bit when I'm talking. This is a, it's a very soft silicone material. So it's not structural or hard. And that is a purposeful design element because when you put this hole, especially this hole for your nose, up against your nose, the nose pushes into it and kind of pushes the outside silicone around it to create a somewhat of a seal. And when I breathe, the silicone soft enough, I breathe hard, it's a, there's a ballooning effect to the device. So it actually creates a better seal when I'm breathing. So if I stop breathing, it's it's very loose, but it's still collecting accurately. The harder I breathe, the more ballooning pressure inside the mask itself pushes against your face, so it creates a stronger seal. Now, if you hear me, I'm talking no problem. There's no resistance, really, for me to breathe in and out of the device. So a lot of people say, I'm already tired of wearing a mask. Why would I wear this thing? Well, in, in, order, to, in order to accurately measure things like volume, and things like vital capacity and all these other capacities when it comes to respiration, you don't want resistance. 
when you're measuring those things. In a perfect world, there's a theoretical zero resistance that you want to be able to measure these things. So is there is there some resistance in this? Yes, by nature, because it's, it's a shield between you and your mouth. So there's, there is some level of resistance. It's as minimal as we can make it. And even at full capacity, even at a sprint, if you will, I can breathe through this without feeling restricted at all. Um, and in fact, it's so it's only 20 grams. The whole device is only 20 grams. So it's incredibly lightweight. So you really, yeah, I, I, I put it on, I, for, I forget that I'm even wearing it, to be honest with you, because you're not, you're not looking to pull it tightly against your face. In fact, you don't want that. You want it to rest at ease. So it has the space to capture the breath that's coming in and out of your mouth or nose to be able to calculate it. Because there's a little, there's a little hole inside the mask where it's hard to see, but there's tiny little holes at the bottom where mm-hmm. that's where the gas exchange happens inside the chamber in the electric in the module. And there's a some really unique engineering inside that little module, which there's a gathering chamber, and then the molecules or the gas bleeds its way over that gathering chamber to the sensors so you're not breathing against the sensors at full force ever there's like this little gathering waiting area if you will where the breath goes into and then it circulates to the sensors so it goes in an even fashion if you will so the sensors can read it even more accurately than if it was just forcefully breathed against so there's some really unique and i'll give Udi super credit some elegant design concepts in this little device that he's made that takes into consideration the dynamics of breath movement and and how it needs to move to be captured accurately and when you juxtapose this against devices that have hoses and long ways of traveling that inherently works against the theory of resistance so when you have bigger flow sensors in a tube like it or not you're creating resistance and the laws of physics kind of dictate to you that that doesn't help you measure accurately so even the most accurate things out in the world we will one day debate on stage how accurate those very accurate things are because just because they're the most accurate available does not necessarily mean they're highly accurate. Um, you know, so, and, and that's, that's, that's an issue in general. I have with wearable market in general, a lot of the, the term accuracy is slung around, um, yeah, by everybody best available at the moment. It's the best available yeah. at the moment, right? Even the best things aren't hundred percent accurate. So I like to say that to everybody and what's accurate and what Udi and I like to claim is, Breath calorimetry as a scientific method is incredibly accurate. That's been proven. The goal is to create interfaces that don't interrupt or dislocate that math. So Mm -hmm. we've done everything, Udi's done everything he can to create a device, a piece of hardware, which we don't like to think of ourselves as a hardware company. Eventually the mask will be forgotten, the device will be forgotten, and we're a software company because the data is more important. But the nature of what that does is really unique and the ability to maintain the accuracy of those scientific methods is something we take very seriously. We, we want the, the device to rise to the occasion and not to be able to interrupt that math that's been proven to work. Um, so that's kind of one of our goals behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, but wear it all you want. A million I mean, questions. At, yeah. At I know, day, I know, right? At the, at the end of the day, wear it all you want, right? I mean, there could be people who wear it before a meal and after a meal to see how they're fat sugar burn changes there could be people like me who want to wear all day long because i want to see my number of breaths i want to see my breath volume i want to see how much o2 i'm exchanging and how much co2 i'm exchanging i want to understand my progression towards ketosis in more than just a one minute thing so things like lumen for example which i i have a lumen myself Mm -hmm. you breathe into one i haven't taken it out of the box right you breathe into it 
you know, after you hold your breath for 10 seconds and it's a stamp, it's like a VO2 max test. You get a picture of it. I think it does a decent job of what it does. But if I wear this for an hour, a half hour before I eat, a half hour after I eat, I'm getting a much bigger picture and I'm getting more data as to how my body converts energy. So, yeah. uh, so I think it, I think it depends on your interest level and what you're looking to get out of things. Um, you know, snapshots so, are, snapshots are okay. I, as a person, I like more data at the end. Of the we day. do too. Yeah. I mean, we're data nerds as well. Like 30 yeah. biometrics sounds amazing for the average person that could have data overwhelm. What is like the top three things they could get out of it? So um, learning how to choose different foods, how to recover better from oh. workouts, my my eyes are pretty good and I can't see that. So maybe you can just sorry, read out yeah, the top sorry. Three. You know what? I'll, I'll have to. What I'll have to do. Maybe you guys can cut it in. I could do like a screen. Uh, I could do a screen record of this and send it over to you. Yeah, maybe well, you can we can link in. a maybe video or something. But maybe just yeah. like tell us the top three things. Like, well, what is the average person going to learn from this? And are we assessing and actually improving slash exercising the respiratory yes. muscles at the same time? Yes. And, and I want to be completely transparent. And I don't want to sound like a cure-all because we're at an early stage in our company as well. right? So I want to be honest about what this is able to deliver. We're At the moment, we're not a guidance company. right? So, so stage one of, of Caliber is we're providing access. Yeah. We're providing access to metrics you've never had before. Mm-hmm. Um, and skilled people and knowledgeable people are going to be able to take that and they're going to be able to run with it. So have we come up with Caliber scores at this stage? have we have we kind of gone down the path that like whoop is going down where we have you know scores or graphs that chart or recommend meals for you we have, we're not there yet right so we have those we have those plans on our roadmap but right now we're just excited to get the data out there at this stage so what i like to tell people that the people that are the early adopters Lauren, right now are um, performance coaches high level athletes academics clinicians um, biohackers, people who know what this data represents already kind of bring it into their lives without having to have a, have it in a simplified chart at the moment or a score per se. So we do, when you, when you record a session with caliber, it does record the session and you can go back and review each biometric along an XY graph and kind of see how it shifted over time or changed over time. For me, the way we've broken it down, I think, is the best way to look at it. There's there's respiratory data and there's metabolic data. And underneath those two umbrellas, you could start to look at the efficiency of yourself as an aerobic animal under the respiratory area. And you could look at yourself as a biochemical fueling animal under the metabolic area. And so those two areas are really interesting. And on the respiratory side, it's things like breath rate, like I said, O2 and CO2 consumption. Um, respiratory exchange rate. Those are really interesting things, especially when it comes to like the world of diabetes, uh, insulin production, and things like that. When you start to mirror that data against your day-to-day, you could start to see how your food affects you. You could start to see how your hydration is shown. There's a real, there's real strong correlations. When I underhydrate on purpose and I use my caliber, it's very noticeable in my breath rate, in my breath volume, in my O2 exchange. It's very noticeable. The issue right now is there's not a lot of academic studies that highlight this because there just hasn't been access yet. So in stage one of our company, I want to get this in the hands of every clinician and every academic out there so they can start doing studies with us because we know the theory is right. We just don't have the data. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know the correlations are there. But for the layperson, I believe the layperson is going to understand with a little bit of educational background on breathing how to understand how their body performs as as a human animal, if you will, 
And the breath tells a tale that other biometrics don't tell. And it's all about the efficiencies of how your body metabolizes things at the end of the day. So for people in the, interested in the keto world, in the calorie counting world, um, who want actual accuracy and not guess, guessing algorithms, this is something that's going to provide a level of accuracy that you haven't had available before. Yeah, if you exactly. really... If, if you really want to see, and we, one of the things that we trademark, Udi trademarked this, we have something called a keto gauge. So you're going to see a, a gauge that shows you your progression towards keto. So, you know, your the fluctuation between carb usage and fat usage, basically. And, and it's, it's a simple speedometer mechanism, if you will, but you're going to be able to see at any given time where you are in your progressive movement towards carb or fat burn. Uh, so people start to understand actually what ketosis tracking is, because a lot of people who are, Maybe uninitiated think it's all or nothing. It's black or white. You're, you're either right. in keto or you're not. And no, it's that's a spectrum. Really, that, it's a spectrum. So we have the ability to show the spectrum all the time. So you can put the caliber device on any time you want, and in less than thirty seconds, know where you are in your keto progression, which mm-hmm. I think is really cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. Awesome. And then if you have some background, then you know how to shift macronutrients or maybe use some fasting. But yes, yeah. So it's so gonna be lots uh, of data behind the scenes. Yeah. We are because. You know, we're a young company and we're ambitious, of course, how fast we could hire experts and onboard ambassadors and advisors. We'll, we'll see. Um, yeah. We would we would like to stick to the idea that we're not experts in nutritional meal provide provisioning. Um, there, there are experts who are better than that at that than us. So we will be working and already talking to interesting people out there who are experts in things we don't want to become experts in necessarily, who will guide us and provide information. You know, I like I think of like someone like Kristen Holmes at Whoop you know, or somebody like that. Like we're going to, we have our panel of experts behind the scenes that are going to start saying, well, if you have this keto score, Udi and Sean are going to tell you what to eat, even though I'm a, I have a degree in nutritional science. That's not my job. I'm not going to make a meal plan for people. We'll leave that to the experts who know how to do that. And hopefully Mm -hmm. we'll recruit the right people and bring the right people on board to help us provide an educational community component to the back end of these metrics. So that's, that's, that's our, what our thoughts are at the moment. That's yeah, incredible. Really exciting. Really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that, I don't know if that's a job offer, but just, you know, I know we're getting tight on time. I just one more question. Can you wear this when you're sleeping? Yes, of course. Great question. Uh, I do in fact wear it when you I'm do. sleeping. Okay. And I think that's, I think it's wildly interesting because I want to, I wanted to see if I actually, when did I stop breathing? Did, did my, yeah. did my breath, did my breath flatten out? I, I you know, people who wear CPAP masks at night and so forth, they're, they're flowing oxygen. But I, I think this, to me, one of the first steps I want to do is introduce this into a whole bunch of sleep study environments so people can actually track this comfortably because it's not heavy. And when I put this on, I sleep with this and I'm, I'm a back sleeper or a side sleeper. It doesn't affect this. I, it, I didn't wake up with it off my face. It was still there. And I had, you know, a good seven hours of data of me breathing all night long. And I was able to go back in my graphs and see, oh, wait, I took a 30-second break there. Oh, it, at, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I hyperventilated. I must have been in REM. And I was probably having a dream at that time. So you can really kind of t- follow that journey, which I, th- I think it's oh, really cool. I want cool. that. I think it's really I know. Sign me up right now. Yeah, right? rather than yeah. throwing <laughs> nose cones across the room, ripping them out. <laughs> like, let's find out what was happening. Yeah. Or yeah. the other sleep studies where you have like, a hundred wires and you're like, oh, it Let dials me just... all over yeah, the place. Please. Right? Don't yeah, be stressed. We're going to measure yeah. everything. Don't be stressed. <laughs> yes. I, I've normally. been through one of those sleep studies and I didn't sleep at all when I was there because there was so much gear on me. How could uh, there you? Was, there was no way I was going to sleep. It was I got terrible. like three hours of sleep total. Yeah. 
It's yeah, terrible. It's, miser- it's miserable. Ooh, <laughs> oh, well, gosh. that's super so, exciting. That component. Yeah. Yeah. So this won't replace all of those. Like I don't have electrodes to your mind. I'm not doing ECG and stuff like that. Right. But, 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 but the stuff that we do do, we do well. And I think it is interesting data. So yeah, I'm excited. The more, the better at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, we are here for it. We can't wait to test it and dig into the data. Um, And I just think this is a really exciting thing for the health industry and for technology. Like we are moving in an exciting way. So yeah, I think so too. Oh, I yeah, saw no, your I mean, brain I'm, goes somewhere I'm else. What all, I'm excited at all the data. Give me, give me <laughs> yeah. data from every area of my body. I don't care what it is. I just want to yeah. know it. Uh, me, at the end of the me, day. Too. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Me too. Me too. Yeah. So before we wrap up, we want to ask for one final piece of advice, something you can share with our audience, maybe something they can start doing today since Caliber is not you know, on Amazon click by get tomorrow. What can we do to optimize our health? Yeah, good, good question. So I'll stick to the breath world because uh, that's the world that I know the best, right? So. What, what I lo- always like to tell people is when you start to focus on the basics of breathing, and this is something that I've taught in my own company, which is called Breath. Like people can follow me on Instagram on Breathflow, where I talk about more breathing things than caliber things. I like to let people understand that breathing is a 360 degree rotational implementation that you have to start to discover. So when I, if I kind of tilt, I'm not going to disrobe for you guys, but you know, when I breathe, I breathe all the way around my body. And when I start to teach people to breathe, I breathe frontal plane, lateral plane, and caudal plane into the backside. I rotate and go around that whole 360 degree plane because the diaphragm is anchored, not in the front of the body. So as simple as it is, Lauren, and I don't want to just give a simplistic answer to negate your question. It's it's an important question, but people have to realize that they don't just breathe in the frontal plane. They have to start to understand that there are efficiencies they could allow themselves and take the ballet background. You can breathe laterally as easy as you breathe in the front side of your body. You could breathe to the back side of your spine as easy as you do to the front side of your spine. It's a motor neuron connectivity issue and a training and adaptive issue. You have to allow yourself to develop the sensation of breathing fully and slowly. So I like everybody to start breathing around the entire body. If you just simply do that, you have to slow down your breath. You can't breathe a full 360 degree breath by rushing it. It doesn't happen. So by slowing down your breath and rotating the breath around, I think you are creating the initial stages of awareness that'll make you quickly realize how hard or how structurally rigid you are holding yourself. And you'll have to forgive those habits a little bit and let the emotions and the tension relax out of your body so you can develop that softness to your breath. That's the starting point. If everybody just mm-hmm. simply did that, the world would be a much better place, I think. And maybe down the road, we could talk about more complicated, cool ratios and all this other stuff. But my wish is really for the people in the world to breathe softly and with freedom at the end of the day. That 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 would be a gift if we could all do that. Lovely. So I'll leave it at there before I start to tear up and get sad about it because mm-hmm. it's helped me through my whole life when I broke my back when I was a youngster and you know had to find my way out of injury. It's the one thing that made it available to me. When everything else failed, my breath was curing me uh, mm-hmm. if I paid attention to it. So it's, a, it's an incredibly powerful tool at the end of yeah. the day. That's a free, a free biohack we can all be working on. Yeah. It should be simple, simple, simple and easy, right? There's not much of a threshold there. Everybody mm-hmm. could start doing that right now. So I didn't want to raise the bar too high and say, that's too difficult to try. Right. Let's get everybody trying something simple and easy and, and stay conscious and don't just try it once and forget about it. This is a, you know, you take 20,000 plus breaths a day. 
try to implement it in as many of those breaths as you can. And every day, add a few more breaths and become aware, right? The, the goal is, and I don't want to talk yoga, but the yogi, theoretically, the, the greatest of all yogis, remember every breath they ever took. Like, imagine that. Like that. Think of that as a goal. How many breaths do you remember from the last hour? You know, I, I, this hour, maybe a little bit more, right? But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Since we had awareness of breath has kicked up, awareness. but I'm sure everyone listening has been breathing a little more fully and softly. For I hope so. Hours. I hope yeah. so. There's that. I hope. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, your wisdom, and all this information about breath. This is so incredible. Um, we should talk more about breath mechanics. I would love and all to. Of, yeah, let's do that. Uh, we're so okay. excited for Caliber. Thank you for sharing that with us and our audience. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.